thank you everyone for being here. It's nice to have you here. My name is Jeff Kerr. My wife Christy and I pastor the church here, and I see a few new faces, so I'd love to meet you afterwards if you want to stick around. I know it's hot. I know I feel bad always acknowledging because you know it's hot, but we couldn't find, we have this box of fans. Somebody has like the fans. There was a couple laying around. We have this big case of fans, like the, you know, fan yourself fans with our church logo on it and everything. So it's official. Yeah, you're, there's a couple here. So you might want to start passing some money up, see if you can buy one of those fans off those people who got one. But we can't find the big bucket of fans. So we've had people searching. So you're on your own. Find something to, to wait, a connect card. There you go. Or I think someone actually brought their own fan. We've got a couple fans here. I know it's hot. We are renting space from this Methodist church. Um, for the time being, we have a building that we are purchasing or wanting to purchase. We are pursuing, and that building will have air conditioning in it. So we're halfway. Th- yes. Ow! But we can't find the fans. And so the Bible says we wage not war against flesh and blood, but against principalities and spiritual things and missing buckets of fans. We can't find them anywhere. So you can go to church today and say you really roughed it for the Lord, that you had a sacrifice of praise today. Um, but how, uh, talk, speaking of which, we are in a, a welcome home campaign, which Pastor Stephen mentioned. Um, I wanted to just give you a quick update. We have had great response to this. Um, our initial goal as a church over two years was to raise 300000 to go towards purchasing and renovating a building. Well, we passed that goal right away, and then once Commitment Day was a couple months ago. We are now at, in pledges over the next two years, a total of $548,000 and 800 and, wait, five. So that is awesome. So pledge cards have been coming in even over the last couple weeks. If you consider yourself a homesteader and you are a part of this and you want to get involved, we'd love to have you get involved. But in addition to that, we've already had 20% of the pledges actually come in. So, which is what we actually need to happen to buy a building. We can't hand them a stack of pledge cards and say, we're good for it, trust me. We're Christians, trust us. Um, so, that's, we have over $100,000 come in, in in offerings already. So, thank you for your support. This is awesome news. Be praying. Yes, let's... There's a very... Very hot Minnesotan applause right there. Should I clap? I don't want to expend energy. I'm already working up a sweat. Um, but be praying for this building. We've been pursue- trying to get the owner on the phone and finding different numbers. He's, uh, he travels, and he's been a bit elusive. So be praying for the owner of the building that we want to buy right downtown Farmington. Also, Stephen mentioned the Summer Palooza. So he mentioned the Merrick's house on Tuesday night. If you want to come, you can come. You don't have to RSVP, but it's always handy to have people RSVP because there's a big difference between planning for a party of 10 and for 210. Okay, so if you want to come, we'd love to have you, but if you could, RSVP. Um, We also have other things. Friday morning, this past Friday morning, we had just a group of guys get together at the Blue Nose Coffee in Farmington at 7 a.m. for an hour. It was a great time just to get to know some guys from the church, talk about what's going on in life, time to support each other. We've got the Merricks on Tuesday. We've had other fun events. We've had, um, what have we had? We had the other, the pool part. We've had pool parties, kickball. So really, all of this is designed for you as homesteaders to get together with other people, to get to know people at your church. Some people come and say, well, I just don't feel connected at your church. We've got like a whole summer planned, a whole summer of fun. There's times where just moms and kids during the day, you can get together with other moms and kids and go to a park and splash pads. So grab one of these if you want all the dates. We've got good stuff coming up. All right, that's all of my infomercial part of the morning. We're glad you're here. Turn in your Bibles, if you have Bibles, to Acts chapter 9. 
we have been working through the book of Acts this summer. I've loved working through the book of Acts. If you want a Bible to follow along and you didn't bring one, there should be a black hardcover Bible in most of the seats that you're sitting in. That'll be the same translation that we are uh, working through today, which is the NIV. But Acts chapter 9, we're going to read a great story of conversion, a great life change story, one of the, one of the most well-known stories of somebody coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And I love this story because as a church, as a group of, of Jesus followers, this is kind of the heart of the issue for us, right? We want life change. We want to see lives changed for Jesus Christ. We love seeing people come and today's story is all about this, someone who you couldn't even imagine coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Like, think of the last person you would think that would ever come to faith in Jesus Christ. Imagine that this is the story of a person like that coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Um, and at the end of the service, we're going to give an opportunity to pray for a few things, one of which I know there are people here who have loved ones who are close to them that they've been praying for, that they would come to faith in Jesus. We're going to have a time to pray for them. But there's also going to be an opportunity for you, if you have never made that commitment to follow Jesus, we're going to give that opportunity at the end of the service today. So just a little bit of a recap. The book of Acts is written by Luke, who is the same guy who wrote the Gospel of Luke. The Gospels are all the life and teachings of Jesus Christ up until when he was crucified and when he rose again. Acts is the rest of the story. Acts is where the story continues on. After Jesus ascended to heaven, he gave the disciples the Great Commission. He said, wait for the Holy Spirit. You're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that you have power and boldness to go and make disciples in all the world. And so this is what we have seen over the last six weeks talking through the book of Acts. This early church, these first disciples going out preaching the gospel, seeing thousands and thousands of lives changed. Over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about how they started to face opposition and persecution. Disciples were arrested and questioned. Last week, Stephen, one of the early disciples, he was arrested. And because of his bold proclamations of faith to the temple guard, to the religious elite, the Sadducees, he was executed. He was thrown off the edge of the temple mount, and, and big stones and boulders were hurled at him. Um, that's what we talked about last week. And after that happened, because of a villain, we introduced the villain of the story named Saul. Saul was leading this persecution against the Christians. So disciples, Jesus followers, they scatter, they run and hide, but a lot of them leave Jerusalem and Judea and go to Samaria and to other parts of the world, other nations, to escape this persecution. But this villain, the Darth Vader of our story, Saul, he's going around and he's finding all the people, all the Christians he can. He's leading the charge, finding believers in Jesus and having them arrested, arrested, arrested and persecuted all at once. You've, you've learned a new word today. But as a result of this persecution, the Christians who were leaving, running to different nations, now the gospel is spreading. The Great Commission was to take the gospel into the other parts of the world, all the other nations. Now, because of persecutions, Christians are running, they're fleeing, and now the gospel is being preached in all these other nations. I love, and that's what we talked about last week, where you think something is going to stop the gospel. You think something is going to stop the kingdom of God from moving forward. You can't stop the kingdom of God from moving forward. It just continues to spread in spite of persecution, and we see that around the world. I mean, in nations around the world today where the gospel is probably most persecuted is where the gospel is thriving, where there are miracles and lives transformed. I mean, the God, you can't stop the gospel from spreading. That's what we talked about last week. 
So this week we're going to talk about this guy Saul, our Darth Vader, our villain. This is the last person you would ever think to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Saul is a Pharisee, which means he's a religious leader of the Old Testament Jewish religion. He is a, a religious authority. The Pharisees were the devout followers of the Old Testament law, and they were the rule keepers, the, the ones who were the holier-than-thous, the one who were always accusing other people of not following the rules. If you remember when we talked about Jesus, the Pharisees were always the group that were at odds with Jesus. Jesus was always opposed to the Pharisees, and they were always opposed to Jesus. They were always at odds because Jesus was teaching a new salvation, a new covenant, a salvation through faith. And for the Pharisees, it was all about keeping the rules, keeping the law, keeping the Old Testament traditions. So this is Saul. This is why he is pursuing Christians and having Christians arrested, arrested, um, because he sees this as not of God. He sees this as opposed to the things of God because he knows what relationship with God is, Old Testament rules and traditions and rituals. So that's where we pick up the story in Acts chapter 9. Saul is trying to find Christians to arrest. He hears that there are Christians who have run to other nations and other regions, and so he gets approval to go after them and chase them. This is like the suspense part of our story. So I'm going to pick this up in Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 1. Acts 9, verse 1, we're going to read 1 through 5 for right now. It says this, and the words will be up on the screen if you want to follow along. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if they found any there who belonged to the way, that's what they referred to themselves, the Jesus followers called themselves, we belong to the way. So if he found anyone there who belonged to the way, whether men, women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked, and we're going to stop there for just a second. We're going to break there before we continue on with the story. I love that moment where Saul says, who are you, Lord? That's, a, that's Saul recognizing that this is a, a heavenly voice. By him saying, Lord, he's not recognizing that it's Jesus. He just recognizes this is a heavenly voice. So him saying, who are you, Lord, is a sign of respect saying, okay, I recognize you are either God or an angel. And if you remember, Saul being a Pharisee, he would be so familiar with the Old Testament, the legends of the Old Testament, the stories of Abraham and Moses and other heroes of the Old Testament who had those moments where God spoke to them. You know, Abraham, hearing God say, go here, leave your land and go over here, I'm going to make you into a great nation. Moses and the burning bush where God spoke to Moses. Saul would be so familiar with these stories. So Saul had to have been thinking, this is my, this is my God moment, right? This is my God moment. God is speaking to me right now. So he says, who are you, Lord? I'm ready. I'm going to be just like Abraham and Moses. This is what Saul is thinking in that moment. So who are you, Lord, is a sign of respect and acknowledgement that he is talking to a, an, a heavenly being, probably an angel of God. So imagine the shock that comes to Saul when the story continues. And I'm going to continue on in verse 5 again. Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. 
Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he had opened his eyes, he could see nothing. For, so they led him by the hand to Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. I'm going to stop there for a minute. This is Saul's God moment. Not at all what he was expecting when he first heard that voice. Here is the great and powerful and righteous Saul. He is humbled. Saul gets knocked off his horse by God. Like, he literally gets knocked off his horse, and he comes to the realization in a very profound and immediate way that he has been on the wrong side. I mean, it is not hard in that moment to recognize, oh, no. Imagine hearing, like, who are you, heavenly being? I'm just about to go attack more Christians because I'm worshiping and honoring you, God. I'm fighting against this Jesus that they're all following. Imagine his shock when he says, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. You know, why are you persecuting? Saul had an immediate, like, oh, no, I'm on the wrong side this whole time. I am on the wrong, I am fighting the wrong side. He is humbled. He realizes he's been fighting God. He realizes that he is powerless. He is, in fact, blinded for three days. He is blind and powerless, talking to Jesus, who he has been persecuting. And when we're talking about this idea of conversion or coming to faith, there's always that moment for each of us, isn't there? Where's that humbling? that humbling. We have to humble ourselves. It's not as dramatic often as what Paul experienced. We don't often get knocked off our horse with a heavenly light and voice from heaven. But there always comes a moment where we have to humble ourselves, don't we? Where you have to humble yourself and say, you know what, God, I've been fighting you, but I recognize that I am powerless. I am blind, spiritually blind. I need saving. I'm on the wrong side. And we need to come to that point where as humans, we acknowledge that. God, I need you. We humble ourselves. This idea of self-sufficiency in our culture today, because self-sufficiency is what people chase after. I want to be, I want to provide for myself. I want to be strong and secure and all these things. I don't need anybody. That self-sufficiency alone is a huge roadblock to faith in our world, because people can't get to that point where they say, I'm going to humble myself before God. We have so many people that are like, I don't need God. I've got everything myself, which is another reason why in third world nations, the gospel is thriving, because they don't have that self-sufficiency. We are at a disadvantage as in regards to faith in this country because so many people are like, I don't need anything. I've got everything I need. Sometimes that humbling, we are humbled, comes when we've tried running our own lives and it's just a mess. And maybe that's your story of faith. You said, I ran my own life forever and it was a disaster. And I finally came to the end of my rope where I recognized I need somebody else to take over because I am really bad at running my life. Or we recognize there's a void in us, and all of these things that we say, I have everything I need, all the material possessions, family, relationships, everything I need, security, and yet there's something. I wake up every day realizing something is missing. There's a void in my life. Maybe that's when you were humbled and realized you needed something, or perhaps you were humbled more dramatically, and God did knock you off your horse one day. Something happened, and you just recognized, oh, man, I've been on the wrong side and I need to turn to God. But every conversion needs that first step of humbling yourself. Following Jesus involves a humility that says, I accept that I am lost. 
I accept that I need saving. I need you. There's something, you know, in a lot of churches, and maybe you've been a part of a church service, and we're going to do that at the end of the service today, where it's just as simple as raising a hand. And we're going to have a moment where if you want to make that decision to follow Jesus, I'm just going to ask you to put up a hand at the end of the service. Now, there's nothing magical about the hand. It's not like heaven is waiting, and once you get, once the elbow gets past 90 degrees, it's like, yay, they're in. No, but there's something significant about that moment where you say, yeah, by doing this, I'm just acknowledging, I'm making that moment of this is a moment where my life needs to change. I am humbling myself and acknowledging my need for a Savior. And this is where Saul was. Saul gets up. He can't see. He's been blinded. The the companions he was with, they bring him into Damascus because that's what Jesus told him. Go into Damascus and you'll be told what to do. Saul is not calling the shots anymore. He has been humbled. So we're picking up the story again in verse 10, right? We're going to continue right where we left off. Verse 10 of Acts 9. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. I love that Ananias knew who he was talking to right away. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. And Ananias, who's a disciple, obviously we would have had the same response in verse 13. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. He's saying, I know who Saul is. I don't want to go anywhere near him. We're actually running away from him. And he has come here with the authority of the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim My name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, he has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. That's a great story. Can you imagine all the drama leading up to that? I love that story. I love that story. Obviously, Ananias is skeptical at first. God, are you sure? I know who Saul is. Are you sure? There's going to be a moment of... I know the gospel can change lives, but probably not this guy, right? Isn't this guy the one guy who's actually persecuting and killing Christians? Isn't he too far gone? And I love God's response. He's my chosen instrument. God is saying to Ananias, I'm doing a work in Saul right now, and I need your help. I just need you to go help him. I'm doing a work in Saul, and he needs someone to come alongside and help him. And my favorite verse is verse 17 there. I think it's going to be up on the screen one more time. Verse 17, it says this again. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, and placing his hands on Saul, he said, what did he call Saul? Brother Saul. Now, that's not, hey, bro, that's brother, like brother and sister in Christ. That is such a significant moment where where Ananias goes and he says, I know who you are, I know what you've done, but you're, you're with us now. You're my brother in Christ. We are a part of the same family. I'm not as concerned as I was of what you've done in your past. You're now my brother. You are now a brother or sister in Christ. You're part of the family. Ananias says, hey, 
just like me, you are a partaker of God's grace. You are a partaker of God's grace just like me, and that means you're with us. You are with us. Imagine what, in that moment, hearing those words from Ananias, imagine what that meant for Saul. Okay? Imagine where he's at. He realized his whole life, his whole life. Imagine thinking, I've given, not just the time where I was persecuting Christians, but every day rule following and persecuting and telling other people how they're doing the rules wrong, achieving righteousness in my own strength. He's had his whole world rocked. He realizes, I've been on the wrong side this whole time. I'm on the wrong side. He's probably thinking the same thing. I'm a goner. God is going to wipe me out. He's probably thinking, there's no way God can save me. And then this follower of Jesus named Ananias comes in, puts his hand on him, and the first words he says is, brother. Right? Imagine that moment for Saul. Like, oh, this is a safe place. Wow, this guy is welcoming me in. I've probably arrested people he knows. I've probably had people killed who he knows. Yet he's coming in and saying, brother, you're with us now. Brother Saul, you're with us now. I love that part of the story. Imagine in our world the people who feel far from God, and they see a church person coming, a Jesus person coming. They have had, in our world today, there's enough people who have harsh responses from Christians who claim to be following the way, who are pointing fingers of judgment and accusation. Imagine what it means for the hurting, lost people in our world where someone comes says, I know you're hurting, but you're a brother, you're a sister, you're with us, you belong with us, you belong in the family with us. We're all partakers of God's grace. I love that part of the story. That is going to do wonders in our world today, where we can just have a kind response, saying, you're with us, you're one of our people now. You're one of our people. Even the people we're going to say, maybe beside the scenes, God, are you sure? Even them, are you sure? No, we are all recipients of God's grace. We are all blind. We were blind, and now we see. And there are people who are still blinded who need someone to come along and say, brother, sister, I'm going to help you. I'm going to point you to Jesus. We should never doubt God's ability to change a life, any life, right? Any life. We should never doubt God's ability to knock somebody off their horse, to change their heart, to change their life. So we're going to continue on with the story. Verse 20 says this. This is after Ananias goes lays his hands on Saul, the, the scales that were blinding him fell off. Saul can now see, and he gets baptized, and this is what happens. At once, at once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished, obviously, and asked, isn't this the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem amongst those who called on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Messiah. By proving that Jesus was the Messiah. How did Saul prove he was the Messiah? How did Saul prove that Jesus was the Messiah? He was the proof. His story was the proof. It's not like he had like the, this magic scroll and said, aha, here's the teaching. No, it was his life was the proof. His life that Jesus changed. So many were astonished. 
because they saw that walking proof of Jesus changing a life, a drastic change. There is power in a story like that. There is power in your story. There are people in our church today who are seeing lives change just because they're telling their story. Not unlike Paul, Saul's, who was saying, I was so far gone. I was the last that anybody would have expected to get saved. And yet here's what Jesus has done in my life. There is power in your story. That is what God's asking us to do. Just share your story. Share what God has done in you. That is the proof of a risen Savior, the changed life. I was speaking at a group of, uh, at Teen Challenge. Teen Challenge is a, a, a drug and rehab facility. And so after they go through the initial program, there's a leadership development program that I go a couple times a year and speak to a group of students. There's probably 20 students there. And I love that because I was talking about leaving a legacy for your kids because a lot of these people, they're not only trying to get their lives together, just beating addiction, drug addiction, alcohol addiction, but they've got a mess that they have made in their family. They've got relationships with kids, most of them, that, and they would say, yeah, I have totally messed up my relationship with my family. That's another thing that I'm going to work on in addition to getting my life on track, getting my family on track. And one young man shared about his relationship with his daughter, and he said, you know what? It's actually interesting and cool to see because I'm a different man now than I was five years ago. And so when I would say something to my daughter five years ago, she would automatically know, whatever, dad's not going to follow through. Dad never follows through. But now I'm following through. Now I'm a different person. And slowly you can see, he was saying, slowly you can see my daughter saying, oh, okay, oh. And he said, I know it's going to take a long time to earn back her trust, but you can see it happening. And I said to him, that's it was cool because I had just, I had just studied this story, and I'm like, that's Paul. That's Saul in the, in the book of Acts. That is his story alone. I said, your story with your daughter is going to be the life change that she sees and says, man, if Jesus can do that in my dad, maybe I can open up my heart to him. This is going to be the proof of a risen Savior. I love stories like that. My favorite stories are, it's happened a few times as the pastor of Homestead, um, where there was one day someone in my neighborhood who goes to the church he had a friend that we were going to go, boy, I said, I need one of those things that I'm putting a brick patio, and I need the thing that pounds down the, the gravel. And I said, I could go rent it. He's like, oh, my buddy in Egan's got one. Let's go get it. And I said, okay. So we hop in the truck, and we go to this guy's house in Egan to borrow this. I don't even know what it's called. You can tell I'm a, a tamper. Thank you. Thank you. In addition to amen, I also like answers to my questions that I don't know what they're. So we drive out there. And, uh, and Kevin and I, Kevin was the name of my neighbor and uh, still is the name of my neighbor. And we drive out there and we meet his friend in Egan. And so introducing and Kevin says, hey, how you doing here? And I said, hey, this is Jeff. He's my pastor. And his friend looks at Kevin like, pastor? What? No. And he just went, no way. No way. He's like, you don't go to church. He looked at Kevin like, you do not go to church. There is no way. And then there was even some bleepity blanks in there, which makes the story even better. There's no way you go to church. No, really, this is my pastor. I go to church. It's been great. I love stories like that. Those are my favorites. Those are my favorites where it's like you see God change a life and then they encounter people from who knew them before and they're like, what? Church? No way. It's like, not you. Not you. I want stories like that. I love stories like that. The, whoa, 
Even them, the book of Acts is full of stories where people are getting saved and the disciples are like, whoa, even they can get saved? It's kind of like, wow, that's like, that was way further than what I imagined was possible. I love stories like that. I want more stories like that. I want people to come in to our church on a Sunday or come to a summer palooza event or anything else and get connected with this family. And at first we're like, whoa, even them? Like, you, wow. And then see God knock them off their horse and change their life. There's nobody that God can't save, right? There's nobody. Never underestimate God's ability to change a life. And that's your story. There's power in your story. Tell your story of what God's done. And when you're talking about a changed life, look at the change in Saul. We've got a few minutes before we wrap up. I just wanted to highlight this. Not just goes and immediately starts preaching about Jesus, but he's a different person. He's a different person. As you read ahead in chapter 13, Saul begins to be referred to as Paul. So he has a new name. Saul is now Paul. Um, Paul is the Apostle Paul who wrote most of the New Testament, all the epistles where it's letters like Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. All these are letters written by Paul who was going around transforming communities by preaching the gospel, raising up churches. So when you read a letter, if you read a book of Ephesians or Philippians, now how does that change your view of it when you realize this was written by the guy who was out killing Christians, who God changed his life, and now he is a leader in the first century church. This is Paul. He has a new name. Saul was his Hebrew name. And the meaning of Saul, the Hebrew name, was large in stature and chosen of God. Doesn't that sound like Saul? Like, I've got all the rules down. Everyone is honoring me because I'm the most righteous person, and I'm going to tell all y'all how you are falling short. This was Saul. This was his pre-Jesus life. Large in stature, chosen of God. It makes you think of the Old Testament Saul. You know the Old Testament Saul, the first king of Israel? When they were looking for someone to be king of Israel in the Old Testament, and they said... There's a guy, he's taller and better looking than everybody else, and that's probably why you chose to come to our church today, because look at that pastor, he's, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> when they were cho- choosing a king, they said, well, he looks like a king, he's tall in stature, he's better looking, he's just, that's clearly the king, and Saul was a disastrous king, right? He had a heart that turned from God. That was Saul, that's, that's Saul's original name, but his his new name is Paul. His new name is Paul. Paul is his Roman name. Paul means small, right? Paul means humble. So there is such significance in when you start seeing it. Yeah, they're referring to him not as Saul anymore, but Paul. This is so indicative of life change, a new name, a new identity. His name means small and humble. This is the transformation that you see in Paul. Saul, who was mighty in heritage and tradition in his religious rule following, becomes Paul, who goes on to be the key leader, the key leader in the New Testament church, the writer of more of the New Testament than anybody else, humble servant used by God. I'm going to read a scripture In Philippians, one of the letters that Paul wrote, he's talking about this transformation that happened. Listen to the life change that Paul himself is talking about that day when he recognized who he was before Christ and what he is now in Jesus Christ. Philippians 3, verse 4, starting about halfway through verse 4, it says this. It'll be up on the screen. If someone else 
thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh. I have more. Paul is talking about, watch out for all those people whom I used to be, all the religious rule followers who say it's all these things that are going to earn you a good spot with God. He says, if someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regards to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. This is Saul, right? He's describing Saul. I had everything down. I was large in religious stature. But look at what he says next. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but which comes through faith in Christ. That is what we see in Paul. That's the transformation we see. This is a life changed. Every conversion to faith involves a humbling, a humility, and it involves a change, doesn't it? It involves a change. It wouldn't have made sense for Saul to get knocked off his horse and say, you're persecuting me. Jesus is saying, you're persecuting me. Now go and Ananias prays, and he gets his sight back. He says, okay, I guess I'll go back to arresting Christians. No, that wouldn't make sense at all. There is a change, a transformation that comes, and it's not immediate overnight. If you give your heart to the Lord, we know it's not. You wake up the next day and the angels are singing. It's like, I'm never going to sin again. It's like, I never have a bad thought or use a bad word again. No, it's a process. But there is a change that takes place. Every conversion involves a change. This is the idea of repentance, turning away from the old, turning away from the Saul, the old life, and turning to new life in Jesus Christ. What I love about the book of Acts is right around these same, this chapter 9 that we're in, right around there, there's other great stories of people coming to faith. There's Philip, a disciple, who's led by God on a certain road, and on the side of the road is an Ethiopian official who's sitting on the side of the road reading the Old Testament. And Philip says, well, do you understand what you're reading or do you need help? And the Ethiopian says, how can I understand if there's no one here to help me? Well, I'm here to help you. Let me show you to Jesus. And this man and his, uh, his whole entourage become followers of Jesus Christ. In the verses right after this story, there's a man named Cornelius who has seen a vision that Peter is going to come. Cornelius is a Roman centurion, and the Jews hated the Romans. But yet Peter comes to him, miraculously is led to him, and his whole family is saved and baptized. God is changing lives. All these stories around this story of Paul, God is transforming lives. This is what God is doing. This is what God is doing in our world today. He's touching hearts. He's opening blind eyes. He's directing people. He's directing you to people. He's bringing people into your path so that you can go and you can say, brother, sister, let me show you Jesus. God is doing a work in your heart. Let me explain. Let me help you. Let me explain the scriptures to you. Let me point you to Jesus. We should never underestimate God's ability to save a life, to save a heart. And so I want you to think of, I've said this before, if you're at school or your workplace or your neighborhood, this is not just you filling time. This is you being Ananias. This is you being Philip or Peter saying, God's saying, I'm bringing people into your path. 
I'm bringing people into your office, into your workplace. That person that's always stopping by your desk or your office to say hello or to ask questions about stuff. Those people in your school, in your middle school, your high school. I'm bringing people into your path so that you can go and you can help them. I'm doing a work in them so that you can go and you can help them. We all fit into this story somewhere as we wrap up today. We all fit in this story somewhere. And for a lot of us, we're the Ananias. We're the Ananias where God's saying, I'm leading you to people so that you can help them. I'm leading you to people so that you can point them to salvation through Jesus Christ. God wants to use us to lead other people to him no matter who it is. We simply go and we help no matter who it is. There are too many Christians today that look at the world and say, oh, clearly not them. I don't want anything to do with them. Clearly they can't be saved. I can't help them. They're opposed to God. They're opposed to the things of faith. Look at their lifestyle. Look at their choices or their past. Look at their beliefs. I can't help them. And some even say they deserve the mess they're in. They deserve to be lonely and blinded. No, that is, we got too many people doing that. God is saying to each of us, to each of us, like he did to Ananias that day, listen, go and help. I'm doing a work in them, and I need you to go and help them. And we should worry less about who they were and simply say, brother, sister, you're one of us now. Here's Jesus. Let me show you Jesus. And if you think there's any far, anyone too far gone, look at Saul. Look at Saul. Never underestimate God's ability to save someone. So as we wrap up today, I just want to highlight a couple things. There are people here who you have loved ones, family members, friends who are close to you that are far from God. And you're praying and you're praying and you're praying. And I want this to be an encouraging word to you today. Never give up. Never underestimate God's ability to knock somebody off their horse, right? Just, it could be just a day like any other day and all of a sudden their world is like heavenly moment where they recognize, oh, I need God, and they're going to need you in that moment to say, I want to point you to Jesus. So keep praying, keep reaching, keep loving, keep serving. Don't give up. God is doing a work in them. God is doing a work through you. But for some of us today, you're not Ananias in this story. You are Saul in this story. For some of you here, you're Saul in this story. You have been running from God. You are opposed to God. You are fighting against God in your life. And I think God is saying to you today, why are you, why are you fighting against me? Why are you persecuting me? And I'm just asking you today, and there might be someone here who you just think you got invited to church or you just decided to wander in and you're like, I don't even know why I'm here today. You're not here by accident. This is another road to Damascus moment. This is God doing a work in your heart, bringing you into environments, bringing you into people that are going to show you Jesus. God is drawing you in, and some of you can feel it and you know it, but you just are hesitant to take that step to humble yourself and to proclaim your faith in Jesus Christ. You're not here by accident. You weren't invited here by someone by accident. So I want to give you an opportunity just to simply, and all I'm going to ask you to do is to just raise your hand in a moment. We're all going to pray, and I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand if you want to make that step and put your faith in Jesus Christ. And I encourage you to do that. It's time for you to open your heart up to God who loves you, who is pursuing you, who is doing a work in you. And you are brothers and sisters here with us. And let's just pray for a moment. Lord, I pray for those who are here 
who just made that commitment, I pray that you would just speak to their heart, that you would encourage them. I pray for the rest of us that we would rally around them and welcome them in and that you would begin to do that change in their life that we see in Saul and that people would look at them and be like, what? That, wow, God must be real because look at what happened in their life. This is the stories we want. And I'm praying also for people who are here today, Lord, that have unsaved loved ones who are close to them and they are heavy on their heart today. I pray that you would speak to them wherever they are, whatever they're doing now. Those who are lost, lives are falling apart, I pray that you would invade their day today with a heavenly moment. So that I would be undeniable that you were speaking to them. And for those of us who are discouraged, we've been praying, we've been reaching out, it just doesn't seem like they're open to faith, I pray that you would give us new faith, remembering that there's nobody you can't save. Your arm is not too short to save anybody. You can reach down and touch anybody. And so we ask that you would do that. Thank you for this church. I thank you for the work that you are doing in us, for the mercy and grace that you pour out on us, and for the calling that you have on our lives. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.